prayers this morning. Um, we've got uh, recovery, Sharon from surgery, and uh, Paul uh, Sasso. Um, where's Daryl? Have you heard from Paul? Okay, so shoulder surgery um, and Sharon. Stacy's not here this morning. His back is out. Um, the Meads all have COVID. Every one of them. So um, we need to be praying for them, definitely. Um, a few other things that we want to pray for, that I want you to pray for. Tomorrow is our board meeting. We really covet your prayers for the board meeting tomorrow evening um, as we uh, discuss the affairs of the church. And then next weekend I'll be missing you because um, I'll be teaching at a men's camp. Um, I've got four messages in three days next weekend, so please be praying for me um, for that um, as, as I embark upon that. Um, Betty's sister, Linda. All right, and we know where she's going to. So how's Lori doing? Okay. So Linda, Linda went up uh, to be with Lori in Oregon, and Lori's been looking after her. Betty's on her way up um, this week, so... Uh, we'll be we'll be lifting her up. Um, who knows? Okay. Um, and I feel that as a church, we we need to be praying for uh, Ukraine, for the situation in Ukraine. And and I'm not entirely sure. I do know that I want God to relieve the situation there, um, but also. That God would just reveal Himself um, through. There's a lot of believers in Ukraine. There's a lot of missionaries in Ukraine. Um, that God would just use them mightily to uh, bring glory to Himself, uh, whether it be through the military or through the political. Um, I don't know. So let's just um, let's go to the Lord and um, and bring these things to Him, dear Lord. What an incredible privilege it is to come before your throne, completely dependent upon you for all these things that we're asking. And yet we know that your ear is inclined to us, not on account of who we are, but on account of what you've done for us. And so... Lord, may we never take for granted this great privilege that it is to come to you in prayer. And we lift up our brothers and sisters. We, we pray for the situation in Ukraine. And we pray that you would relieve that situation, Lord, supernaturally. That you would reveal yourself there. But also, not just on a national basis, but on an individual basis. Lord, we pray that you would give power and passion to... Um, all our family there, all our brothers and sisters there, whether they're um, nationals or missionaries or both. Um, Lord, we pray that you would use them to increase your kingdom through this situation, to um, give people hope for eternity. We pray that you would um, give great wisdom to the leaders, that they would listen to you, whether they know you or not. And, Lord, that your will would be done. 
your will, Lord. We lift uh, our sister Linda to you. And God, we pray that you would just bring her peace. Peace in knowing that she's in your hands. That whatever happens, however long it takes, she's in your hands completely. And that when her days are done here, she'll go be with you. So I just pray your comfort and your peace upon her. I pray for um, great words of comfort from Lori and from Betty and from all those that are coming around her. um, And that she would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that her last breath here on this earth will be followed with her first breath with you. I thank you for her, Lord, and I thank you for her testimony to all her doctors and to all those around her. Take her home peacefully and without pain, please. We lift up uh, the Meads and the COVID in that household, and we pray, Lord, that you would just bring immunity to that household. Through this, that you would give them great peace in the midst of it, and that you would heal them from it. That you would strengthen their bodies to fight this off and, um, and free them to do your work. We pray for Stacy, Lord, and, and his back and um, how hard that is. My son-in-law, Tom, and his back. And just knowing how difficult it is to um, be in the work that they do and have a hurt back. So we pray your hand of healing upon both of them. We pray your hand of um, healing and restoration um, upon Sister Sharon and Brother Paul. All those who aren't able to be here with us. We pray continued healing upon Roy. We praise you, Lord, that, that, that he's walking fine now, but we pray that you would restore him completely. And we pray these things in your mighty and powerful name, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we have a memory verse, which is Galatians 2.20. And I'm going to turn there because I have to now memorize all my memory verses in the New King Jimmy version instead of the ones that I memorized. So, um, <clears throat> so let's uh, let's let's re- memorize this together, shall we? Ready? Galatians two twenty. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Awesome. Okay. Next week, hopefully I'll be able to do it without cheating. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 today. So please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you're using a pew Bible, 
It is found on page 1755, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll be reading the whole chapter. I don't think Paul's going to exposit the entire chapter, but I will be reading the whole chapter, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, here we go. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Dear Lord, I can never thank you enough in this life for giving us your mind i pray lord that this morning you would not only grow us but teach us through your servant paul your mind the things of you lord i pray that um that you would give him great peace with what he's bringing to us the words that you have impressed upon him over the past week and and even earlier. And Lord, I pray that you would give him clarity of thought and of speech, but also that you would give him passion, your passion, Lord, your fire for teaching the things of you. We want to know your mind, Lord. Use this time for your glory and use, spend your servant Paul for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are now 
coming towards the last few sermons in this series on the sanctified life. And this passage shows us very clearly that there is a, a division of outlooks, a division of interpretations about ourselves and the world between the natural man and the spiritual man. Now, I think we all understand what is meant by the natural man. That's a person who is not connected to God, a person who has not been uh, regenerated by the Holy Spirit and is therefore not connected to Christ. What about a spiritual man? What does that mean? I think there is misunderstanding about that, and it's most important, particularly when we're dealing with this passage in 1 Corinthians 2, that we have a right understanding of what it means to be spiritual, what Paul intends here. First of all, we don't mean by spiritual the kind of uh, will-o'-the-wisp, ethereal, non-material, um, almost ghost-like, spirit-like um, understanding that maybe the world has, you know, the invisible realm. That's not what Paul is referring to here. He is speaking about, certainly, our spirits, but our spirits are incorporated into our physical bodies. We are body and soul, body and spirit. It's the same thing in biblical teaching. And this uh, this understanding means that the spirit works with the body. The natural person is somebody who whose spirit is not rightly connected to God in the way that it ought to be. Whereas the spiritual person is somebody whose spirit is rightly connected to God and to his word. It's most important that we grasp this because if I review just a little bit our first point, where we've come to, at least some of the things that we've had to deal with in this series, you can see that they are divided into the natural outlook and the spiritual outlook. For example, creation. Think about creation. This world is created by God. Not a hit and miss thing. It's not a making up as he went along kind of a thing. It was all pre-planned and pre-purposed and designed. And the evidence of that design, even in a fallen realm, is all around us. We don't need to look very far for it. Yes, we can see things that where design has been warped and corrupted uh, by Satan and by the fall. But yet there is still very clear signs of design all around us. This creation is a purposed creation. So that's the first thing. We understand that as Christians. The one who has regenerated us, who has forgiven us, who has saved us, the one who is going to give us eternal life, he is the one who created this world around us and created us too. The world doesn't think like that. 
their outlook, their natural outlook, is that usually, especially in the West, that we are accidents of the forces of physics and chemistry. You just have uh, these laws. They don't ask where these laws came from. But these laws of nature somehow, with a little bit of time, you know, a few billion years, they got together and they concocted life, human life. And therefore, it was all accidental, which means that there is no more meaning and purpose above that accidental thing that brought us about in the first place. No creation, do you see? It's all accidental. That's the natural outlook. Or maybe the natural outlook is, uh, you know, the Eastern view where it's not even, it's not really here in the first place. It's all an illusion. That's a natural outlook. What is the spiritual outlook? The spiritual man, the spiritual outlook is one who sees that this world is created by the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the one who we are connected to as his sons and daughters. That's the spiritual outlook, yes? We are created in the image of God. And that is a most important doctrine to hold on to and understand. We are persons. What does it mean, though, to say that we are persons? We've had to deal with this rather, well, what it seems to be an obvious question, but I'm afraid it's not obvious. To many people in the world, to many students in universities under teachers who uh, have separated the word person from the word human. Whether two things don't mean the same thing necessarily, you have to qualify as a human being to be a person. And some human beings don't qualify. Human beings in the womb, in the mother's womb, don't qualify as being persons. Sometimes in the uh, opinions of some influential professors and writers, even those who are born outside the womb don't qualify as being persons. And, of course, not only at the beginning of life, but at the end of life, you know, those that uh, are not what they were, they're more infirm, the mental faculties are perhaps not what they were, they're physical, they have, uh, you know, dependence upon other people physically. And so they're not really persons either, perhaps. And where you draw the line on persons just is, is rather arbitrary, really. And we have saw that either you connect human beings as persons from conception all the way to death, or you just put that line wherever you want it, and that's what people do. And where you put that line is, um, well, that can make the difference between, in the hands of politicians and judges, whether you live or die. Feelings. 
We have seen that we have feelings, they're God-given. But our feelings are fallen. Our reasoning is fallen too, but our feelings, because they are so powerful, and because they are connected so much with our experiences and our five senses, they certainly are open more to corruption. They're more susceptible to our sin natures. So we should not trust our feelings. I, that's a different thing than saying trusting our intuition. You know, sometimes I think it's wise to trust our intuition on things especially if we've been paying attention to Scripture. But as far as our feelings are concerned, and that's uh, a big subject nowadays, we should not be trusting our feelings. We should be trusting the Word of God. What about the world? That's a spiritual outlook, by the way. What about the world of God? What, uh, sorry, the world. What about the natural outlook? Well, the natural outlook is trust your heart. Trust your feelings. Your feelings about things are the things that decide truth for you. So truth does not conduct feelings and guide feelings. Feelings now just appoints something as being truth. And maybe even for a short time, when your feelings change, then your truths change too. That's our modern world. It's irrational. It's mad. But that's the world that we live in. That's the natural world. The spiritual understanding, the spiritual mind is anchored and rooted in the word of God and the truths that are found in it. Earth, this planet, this world, this whole system was made for us. Okay? It's, it wasn't the same. It's not the same as uh, somebody like me thinking, okay, I'm going to build something and I build it and it, it, it's uh, not the finest structure that was ever built by man in the first place. And then I I think, well, okay, who's going to use it? What's it for? God made the world with us in mind, which is why we fit into it. It's why we appreciate it. It's why we love the beauty of it. We live and breathe in it. It's natural because it's been made. But it was made by a spiritual being for spiritual beings. Not ghost-like beings, not will-o'-the-wisps. Spiritual beings, those who have a spiritual outlook on the physical. So that's the first thing. That's the, basically the review. We are supposed to have, according to this scripture, right at the end there in verse 16, 1 Corinthians 2, we are supposed to have the mind of Christ. Christ was 
a physical human being, was he not? Jesus. Yes? His mission, he was anointed as Christ at his baptism as a physical being. Was he spiritual? Of course he was spiritual. Was he spiritually minded? Yes. So as a physical being, he had a spiritual outlook on things. That is what it means to be spiritually minded. And so it is incumbent upon us to know spiritually. That's our second point. We are to know things spiritually because we either know things spiritually or we know things naturally. If we try to know the world naturally, we end up in irrationality. Do you understand? We end up trusting our feelings. We end up misinterpreting ourselves and our world. And so we must know spiritually. To know spiritually is to be sanctified in our minds, separated to the mind of God. So let's look at this in 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 12 tells us, Now we have received, not the spirit of the world. Now the spirit of the world, in verse 14 there, is natural. Yes? Not the way, the outlook of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit. We have received the Holy Spirit. We have received, therefore, the one who formed this world. Remember, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. The Spirit worked Through the word of God. He was there right at the beginning and there he is in us. We have received that same spirit. Now, certainly if we don't interpret the world as created by the Holy Spirit who is within us, there's a disconnect within us, is there not? There's something wrong with us. We are not yielding to the Holy Spirit. We are not allowing the Spirit of God to influence our thinking. Our minds. And a Christian who does not do that is a very odd thing. We have, he says, received the spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Now, Earlier on, he talks about these things that await us in the future. These things that at least we understand partially what they are. And uh, in a few weeks' time, when I finish this uh, series, I'm going to start to talk about some of those things. But there are many other things, not just in the afterlife, but here and now, that we can understand that we've been given by God. We've been given, for example, 
to live in this country. We've been given to live at this time. We've been given this world, this air to breathe, this church, our friends, our families, many things that have been given to us. And we understand that. We don't take them for granted. We understand that these are all gifts from God. So verse 13 tells us, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, because we don't want the words of the natural world. Their words don't match the words of God. And therefore their words shouldn't match what is going on in our heads. They shouldn't influence our thoughts. But which the Holy Spirit teaches. Now, how does the Holy Spirit teach? This is uh, goes back to a series I did on the Holy Spirit several years ago. But how does the Holy Spirit teach? Well, there are people... Unfortunately, many Christians are like this. Not, I think, the majority, but many Christians think that the Holy Spirit does it in some kind of a, a uh, telepathic way. That, you know, he just kind of speaks to you independently of, of the Word of God. Folks, there is no difference, really, between a person who trusts their feelings and a person who trusts a spiritual encounter like that. I'm not saying God can't do that. I'm not saying that God doesn't occasionally maybe work that way. But that is not his normal way of doing things. Why on earth would he do that when he's given you this book? We might as well throw this out if that's the way God communicates with us, okay? But the funny thing is that people claim, who claim that the Holy Spirit is doing that with them and therefore they don't need any other teacher, those are the people that don't want to read this and study it or obey it. Have you ever seen that? And without this book, by the way, how on earth did they know that it would be the Holy Spirit? Doesn't Satan appear as an angel of light? Can't he manifest himself as the Holy Spirit? Of course he can. We do not receive man's wisdom. We try to receive God's wisdom. We do not have a natural mind. We have the mind of Christ. We have a spiritual mind. That is the way that we need to be thinking. And verse 13 tells us that we compare spiritual things with spiritual. Not spiritual things with natural. Spiritual things with spiritual. What does spiritual mean here? I think I have to remind us all again, it doesn't mean the non-physical. It doesn't mean the non-material. It means the material things. 
but material things as understood as being made by a spiritual being, by God. God himself is a spirit, yes? He doesn't have a corporeal body, yet he made the physical world. So a spiritual being who makes a physical world endows that world, that physical world, with spirituality. And you must be able to see that in the world if you're to understand it properly. Well, you've been given the Holy Spirit. And therefore, you and I ought to be able to see the spiritual behind the physical. Do you see that? The hand of God, as it were, in the world. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit. It's foolishness to him. Now, the natural man, because he's made in the image of God, and because this world is ordered, and because God has given us reason, and he's given us an ability to work things out in the extended world outside of our minds, the natural man can get some things right. Okay? He can get quite a few things right. And sometimes he can get them righter than we can. I understand that. But why they exist, what they're for, and the depth of meaning behind them, he can never grasp. When you start out with everything's an accident, and we're an insignificant race and an insignificant planet and an insignificant solar system and an insignificant uh, arm of a spiral galaxy among billions of others. When you have that kind of starting point, I hope that you can see that you will never end up with a full understanding of our importance and of God's watching over us and of our relationship to that God. But that's what the natural man does. But you see, the nat- for the natural man, it's that, that outlook that we have been specially made by God, this world has been specially made by God for us. The whole creation had us in mind, That's what Genesis 1 teaches us. That's foolishness. I mean, it's utter foolishness. So much so that in chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul says, we are fools for Christ's sake. He understands that. He understands that his mission, his teaching, his outlook what he's writing here, it's all foolishness to the world. It's nonsense. This, this needs to be, <clears throat> it needs to be taken to somebody so they can rewrite it. And put some wisdom in there. Do you see? Go to the world and the world will rewrite this for you. 
Now, it may not be done as bluntly as the world saying, look, we'll write the, rewrite the Bible for you. It doesn't necessarily act in those ways, although it appears uh, in China that some of that's happening. <clears throat> but the world rewrites the Bible in other ways, by what it tells us about ourselves, by what it tells us about our world, by what it tells us about our feelings, by the way that it says, oh, you're the most important thing. The way that it seeks to make us independent from God in our thinking and in our expectations. Now, when the world does that, it, listen to me, sanctifies us to itself. We are sanctified to the world when we do that. We are separated to the world when we do that. If it, the world has our thinking, our minds, it has all of us. This series about, is about the sanctified life, meaning that our minds need to be separated unto God and away from what the world says. The world has its own view of morality or moralities. And they, they start with the, oh, you need to be a good law-abiding citizen. You need to be a nice person. You need to tell the truth. You need to be honest and hardworking. And all of that sounds great. But that is salvation to them. That's the gospel to them. It will damn them. And it goes all the way down to, well, you can't tell me what to do on my own. You know, I make my own decisions. I make my own reality. Which is, of course, is eking into our society more and more. The fact of the matter is, all of that worldly wisdom is damnation. We've got to break away from it in our thinking. If the church is to be the church, if the church is to be a witness, we cannot be agreeing with the world. One of the great things, perhaps the greatest sin that the church has committed in the last 50 years is trying to attract the world by worldly means, by making the church more like the world. Talk about stupidity. Talk about a lack of understanding of what sanctification means. We attract the world by being foolish like the world. No, we are supposed to be spiritually minded. And that necessarily means that we're going to be called fools by the world.
Now in chapter 1 and verse 24, Paul has another view. He says, Of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. He mentions also righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In Christ, we are supposed to reflect his wisdom. The Holy Spirit tells us the mind of God. And we have the mind of Christ. Do you notice there the Trinitarian formula that's in the, in the epistle? So what is it like to have the mind of the Lord? And here I'll be, I'll be brief. Well, remember in Acts chapter 17, Paul before the Areopagus, all of the great sages, all of the great minds of Athens heard him preaching, heard him proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection, heard him saying that this person, Jesus, who they'd never heard of, had actually risen from the dead, physically, gloriously. They heard him say that this Jesus, yes, he died, he met death for us in our place, and he rose from the dead. Gloriously, so that death had no more influence over him forever. And that if we trust in him, that we would be connected to that sacrificial death so that our sins would be punished in his death and that we would also be connected to his resurrected life. And we would have eternal physical life. And they thought, what? What on earth will this babbler say? He was preaching the wisdom of God. He was preaching the truth. The greatest truth. And behind that truth about the death and resurrection of Jesus was the truth that we are sinners. And that we must answer to God our creator. And that God has made the physical realm so that the physical realm isn't something to be uh, uh, cast off, as the view was back then. But that it is good, but corrupted. And yet that corruption will be Turned around. It's turned around first in the resurrection of Jesus, but it's going to be turned around in his return to earth and in our resurrection and in this earth's regeneration. And everything's going to be put right again. There, you see, matching up with the original plan purpose of God so that the whole realm is involved in this. It's not just individual salvation. It's not just some kind of a religion, some articles of faith that you believe in. It's reality. But it's not what the world teaches. 
Jesus, when he preached, he didn't sound like the religious leaders of the day. He had something spiritual to say. And it smacked of reality to many people who heard it. Maybe you were like me. The, the reason I became a Christian is because I read the Gospels and the Jesus of the Gospels, me after reading a bunch of philosophy, the Jesus of the Gospels spoke right at me. No ifs, ands, and buts. No fancy theories. Just the truth. We are... In fact, we have the mind of the Lord. But Paul needs to remind the Corinthians about this, and he needs to remind us today that we have the mind of the Lord. Now, if we have the mind of the Lord, but we have this problem of of, uh, thinking worldly thoughts, of having the world influence our thoughts and so on, and we know that we do, How are we to maintain it? We maintain it through the book that God has given to us. This tells us about reality. And we maintain it by being under the teaching of the word of God. From those who study it and try to uh, apply it to us week by week. We're careful who we choose to teach us. We're careful to read this word, this Bible, so that we are not fooled. And the Spirit of God who wrote this book and who is within us and created the the outside world, he will then help us and guide us, help our understandings to grasp these great spiritual truths so that we will indeed be spiritually minded. And we'll see that the physical, the creational realm, the moral realm, and the religious realm are all one. They all represent God. And to the degree that we realize that and yield to that, we ourselves will represent God. To have the mind of Christ, then, is to be truly sanctified. Do you see that? That's my message. That's my point. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, we pray that you would indeed remind us daily, hourly, who we are in Jesus Christ and that we have the mind of Christ. We slip, we slip back into our old ways of thinking, into our independence from you. Help us, Heavenly Father, when we do that to realize what we're doing. Help us to, again, reaffirm what we know. This world is created by you. 
that we have been reborn through faith in Christ and that Christ, when he returns, he will restore all things to the way they ought to be. Us too. And there will be a a restored unity between the physical realm and the thought realm and the moral realm. But we know that now. Help us not to forget it. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible reading, Bible study, and prayer, two essential marks of a sanctified life. Don't forget Bible study Wednesday, 6.30, 6 o'clock, 6.30, Wednesday, prayer, Friday, 11 o'clock, Johnny and Margie's, um, so Bible study and prayer, be there if you can. Our benediction today comes from First Thessalonians. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Have a beautiful and sanctified week.